looking at this passage today in the book of Nehemiah. We're starting our brand new sermon series here today on Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, God's servant. And um, this, this opportunity for us to look at this powerful uh, book in the Old Testament and see what God has for us and see how it can apply to us today. Um, while you're still possibly turning there, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever, uh, in a time period in your life, and been at the point where you hear news of something and it just kind of takes you off guard? It shocks you, if you will. It kind of just leaves you just stunned in that moment. And it's a moment where it's just mind-blowing. I mean... When some of the Sunday school classes have been going through the book of Nehemiah for a few weeks now. And in those classes, um, the first one that I was in for that, we talked about some examples like this. Um, for me, excuse me, for me, um, one of the ones that always has stuck out to me is when 9-11 happened. It was just a moment where I was sitting in middle school and watching the television and seeing what happens in our classroom, and it was just mind-blowing. It was scary. Uh, it brought you to it brought you to tears, um, just seeing what is ha- what the attack that was happening on our nation, and seeing the response uh, in churches and amongst Christians and and whatnot. And it was just a powerful time to see what the response of people were because of that. You might have some other things that have gone on in your life, maybe something personal that affected you in a in a negative way or just left you just sitting there like, what is happening? Why why has this happened? And the response that we give to those things can be very powerful and can be used for God's glory. Today, what we're going to look at as we sermon series on Nehemiah is we're going to see where Nehemiah, in these first few verses, is hit with news of something that is shocking to him, that just leaves him just broken-hearted. And we're going to see his response to it, and how powerful it is. And in the next weeks to come, especially next week, you're going to start to see when Pastor Troy preaches of a change in a direction that Nehemiah is going in to serve God. And that's why we entitled this sermon series, God's Servant. Because Nehemiah shows the example of what it means to truly follow God and bring Him glory. So with that said, if you would, um, let's stand and honor the reading of God's Word as we read chapter 1. And the Word of the Lord says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev that the twentieth year, when I was in Susa at the citadel, when Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And then they said to me, The remnant there is a province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which have sinned against you. 
Even I and my Father's house has sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They're, they're, excuse me, they are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight fear your name and give success to your servant today. And grant mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Father God, Lord, I pray that you would add your blessings to the reading of this word. Father God, I thank you for the time of worship that we've had here this morning. The crying out to you in song. Lord, the praising of your name. Or through the singing of our choir, through the worship team leading. Or through the prayers that have been prayed. And now as we come to this point, Lord, where your word is being proclaimed. I pray, God, that you be with me as I present your word. I pray, God, that I would just be a vessel used by you. And, Lord, that you would just speak and move mightily in this place. Lord, I lift up our brothers and sisters that are gathered right here in our community, in churches right now, doing the same exact thing we're doing. I pray that you be with the man of God in their pulpit. Lord, that you would speak boldly in those services and that you would move mightily. And, Lord, as always, as I pray, I pray, God, that you would continue to use us to reach this community with the gospel. We love you, Lord. We praise you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So the context of looking at this passage and where we're starting, we've got to understand what we're looking at. Now, the book of Nehemiah is the sequel, if you will, to the book of Ezra. In your Bibles, right before this book of Nehemiah, you will see Ezra there. It, it just so happens that it's right there before Nehemiah, but it also happened in history this way. So Ezra is the, the prequel or before the sequel of Nehemiah. And so in this book, we see in the opening verses where Nehemiah says that he is in Susa, a citadel. And so what this means is it's in the 20th year of the king's reign. And so this is a little bit of a little history facts to kind of understand where we're at. But Nehemiah is at the winter residence. It said Kislo for where he is. And that means uh, within uh, the calendar at the time, it was around November, December. It was at the winter residence when he's hearing these things of what has happened in Jerusalem. And he has this love for his people. He has this love for Jerusalem. And as we're going to see, he is concerned about Jerusalem. He's concerned about what is happening Matter of fact, there are three things that we're going to see today that we can take from this. Nehemiah is concerned with God's concerns. He's concerned about God's people. He's burdened for those people. And he feared God and served Him with all of his being. And so if you're taking notes and following along, the first thing you can jot down is that, number one, uh, we make God's concerns your own. Make God's concerns your own. Let's look again at verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, I was at Susa the citadel. And Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped and had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. 
The reason I pointed out the fact that first we've got to make God's concerns our own is notice what Nehemiah has done. Now, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. He serves the king there. He lives a decently comfortable life. doesn't have anything really to worry about except for upsetting the king. But he's the cupbearer. He's the one that he, he tastes the drink before the king even gets it. And so that was there in purpose so that the king wouldn't drink a poison. He was there basically to be the blockade if there was a poison or something that was given to the king. And he's coming and he's hearing these things and he specifically, verse 2 says, I asked them concerning the I asked them. He is concerned about the people. He wants to know how they are doing. He wants to know what is going on with them. That's his immediate thought when he sees them. It doesn't tell us that he was just shooting the breeze with them and just talking. He immediately asks concerning the Jews who escaped and serving those in exile. He wants to know how they are. And this immediately jumped off the page to me as I was studying for this. Because it made me think about our context here. It made me ask the question, what is our response? Are we concerned for the people of God that dwell here, that are part of the body? Are we concerned about the community that surrounds the walls of our building? We, we had the opportunity to serve people yesterday. We have the opportunity to serve people in many different ways. God has granted us an amazing place right here at the corner of Holmes Avenue and Duran Avenue in North Charleston to be able to proclaim the gospel to people. And are we concerned for those people? Are we concerned about the body of believers here that gather together? Are we concerned about when there's sickness and when there's illness, when there's things that are going on, when there's sin? Are we concerned about sin? There's a lot that is going on in and around our city today. I don't know if you guys heard or pay attention to the news, but just last week, I remember it was about midway through the week, there was another report of a homicide in the city of North Charleston, and some 15 or so at this point. The city, five more, five in a week. And that's concerning. This is our community. This is our city that we're in. And we are called by God to be lights in the midst of the darkness. There is sin that is on the outside. None of us are perfect people. We're all sinners saved by God's grace if we proclaim Christ as Lord. So there's sin here as well. Are we concerned about the sin? Are we concerned about glorifying God and reaching the lost. Look again there at 2. When they escaped and have survived the exile concerning Jerusalem. Verse 3. And then said to me, The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Nehemiah has just heard the very sad news that shakes him to his core. He's asked them, he's concerned for this people. He wants to know how they're doing, and then he hears this report. These people are in great trouble and shame. They're oppressed. They're despised. They're going through a hard time. And then the wall has been broken down and the gates have been burned. I told you earlier to think back to a time whenever you just had some news that just shook you to your core. You remember that feeling you had in that moment? Compare that to kind of what Nehemiah is going through right now when we read this. This beloved people and place that he loves is now under destruction. 
He's concerned with what God's concerns are. He's concerned with God's people. And very quickly, let's see the fact that he is burdened for the people that God's called him to. So for us, if we're applying this, number two, be burdened for the people God's called you to. Be burdened for the people God has called you to. Look at verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Wow. Nehemiah does four things very quickly the moment he hears. He doesn't just hear the news and say, oh, well, man, that's bad. I can't believe that. I'm sorry to hear that. No, it shakes him to his core. And when he hears this news, it tells us that he cried and wept to God. He mourned. He fasted and he prayed. That verse 4 could be a sermon series on its own for weeks. Because there's some powerful things that we could take from that. It's a prescription for believers to see how we can respond when we're faced with things like that. When we're faced with hardships, when we're faced with issues of sin that just breaks our heart. Pray that sin breaks our heart. And so when we see that, we see that Nehemiah, he weeps and he mourns. I sat down and wept and mourned for days, it says. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. When I, when I was reading the part and studying about when Nehemiah wept and mourned, I was brought back to a passage in Luke. And I'll read it to you from Luke 19. It says, um, oh, where'd it go? There it is. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. This is talking about Jesus as he's coming in with a triumphant, triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He sees the city and he weeps over it. See, the city had just, Jerusalem is just in a bad shape. Bad shape. And Jesus is coming in. He's about to go into the Passion Week where he's going to give up his life at Calvary. He's going to die. And as he's coming up on Jerusalem, he sees it and he weeps. There's also places in Scripture referencing the fact of fasting. And I'm only just going to name a few stick out. But for example, Daniel, when he's fasting, he's praying for the disobedience of his people. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. He fasted before God. Those of us familiar with the book of Esther, we know that she is concerned about her people. And she's about to go before the king. But before she does that, she wants to fast and pray before God for three days to make sure this is the thing that she needs to do. Esther 4.16, she says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She didn't care if her life was on the line. If this is what God was telling her to do after she sought the face of God, she was going to do it. One other example. I told you earlier that we're, we're looking at, there's some parallels in, in Ezra and Nehemiah all throughout because of how close they are in the timeline, but Ezra 10.6. Ezra, 
Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Jehoahan, the son of Elishib, and where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, for he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. He's mourning over their faithlessness. And Nehemiah here is mourning over what has happened in Jerusalem. It's heartbreaking stuff for Nehemiah. Also makes me think for a moment, applying again to our context. When, when we experience things, or we see things going on that are sin, or we, we're so burdened about the fact of what is going on in our community, I pray that we are burdened about it. If we're not burdened, we should be on our face crying out to God saying, Lord, I repent. Because we've been called to this place, we've been called here in this community to share the gospel, to shine the light in the midst of darkness and sin. So the sin of the evil one that is out around us, it should break our hearts, it should make us want to stand firm and go before the Heavenly Father, God Almighty, and say, Lord, I'm fasting, I'm putting this stuff away, I don't want to eat or anything of the sort, I just want to get before you, God, I don't care how long it takes, I want to seek your face and cry out for this. And God, I pray that your will be done in it, Lord, and that you would heal the sickness of the sin that is around us. Lord, heal it, Lord. Let us be lights in the midst of the darkness for your glory. Nehemiah does this. He fasts before God and he prays. And we see examples of that prayer. Verse 5, And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You see what he did there? Nehemiah doesn't just stop and just jump right into his request. What does he do? Again, verse 5 says, O Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's coming before God and he is honoring him and he's praising him for who he is. Nehemiah was a servant of God. He knew the word. And he trusted God as sovereign God over all things. And so he cries out to him and he honors him in that. Matter of fact, he quotes Deuteronomy 7.9. Deuteronomy 7.9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Timeline here, this is about 445 B.C. when all of this is happening. Jesus, if it says B.C., what means what? Before Christ. Jesus will come some 445 years later. Okay? And so Jesus eventually, while he's teaching his disciples the model prayer, what does he say in verse 9? Matthew 6, 9. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Coming before God, before we even address Him with our petitions, which we need to, we need to pray to God, we need to tell Him the things that are burdening our hearts that we are sick over, that we hate with sin. All of these things that we're coming before Him with prayers for our family, prayers for our friends, prayer for people in our church that need it, prayers for our community. Before we even give Him those petitions, we come before Him and say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Holy is Your name. You are the holy God. Before my sinful self can come before you and lift up these prayers to you, I've got to address you as who you are. You're not some golden piece of metal on a shelf. 
You're not an idol. You are God. You created me. You know every facet of myself. You know every hair numbered on my head. You are God. And so I come before you because I have been saved by your grace because of the blood of your son shed at Calvary. And you are holy. We have to address God just as Nehemiah. And he comes before him first and addresses God as the holy God that he is that keeps his commandments and his promises. Verse 6, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. It tells us there, Nehemiah says that I've been praying day and night. And that's more of a hyperbole, which we see a lot through text. He's not literally doing it day and night, but he's doing it constantly, as much as he can. Because you have to remember, he's still the cupbearer to the king. He's still there to serve the king. But he is coming before God and he's saying, Lord, day and night, as much as I can, I am praying for the people of Israel first for their sins. But he doesn't just throw Israel out there and say, Lord, forgive them for what they've done. He comes and says, God, forgive me and forgive my family. Forgive our sins, God. Because he's he's seeing what is happening. Jerusalem is going through this. Israel is going through this because of a result of their disobedience to God. Folks, if we go by through life and we proclaim Christ as Lord... And we come before him and we say, God, I love you and I'm going to serve you and I'm going to give you my all. I'm not going to mess up. And we deliberately disobey him. There's actions that come against us for that. And I'm not saying that to scare you or to make it sound like, oh man, God is mean. But think about it in this context. My daughter, I love her to pieces. That child is sassy. Can I get an amen? That child is sassy. And there are moments where I will correct her, and she cops an attitude back. I called my mom and dad the other night, and I said, I just want to apologize for being a child when I was yours, because I'm experiencing it now. But in those moments where my child is being disobedient, what happens? She gets punished for the disobedience. The same is true for us. If we think we can go through this life and deliberately sin against God and not think there's for it, then there's a problem. He's our heavenly Father. He's full of love and mercy and grace, yes. But there are still, there are still things that come about because of our disobedience to Him. But Nehemiah, he acknowledges the sin of Israel and also his sin and that of his father's house. Verse 7, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. He's saying, God, we haven't followed your law. And I'm acknowledging that now, God. We have not followed your law. We have not obeyed what you have put before us, the stipulations of the covenant and the covenant itself. We are dead you. Verse 8 and 9. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Folks, this is encouragement for us. 
This is encouragement for us because Nehemiah, he doesn't think that God doesn't remember this. He doesn't think that God just, oh, well, I forgot about that promise that I made to Moses. No, Nehemiah is saying, God, I know this is true because I trust you and I glorify you in my life. Lord, because of the sins of Israel, my family, myself, God, I pray, God, that you would please remember the, the promise you made to Moses. You told him, Lord, if that we would repent, you would bring us to you. And that is grace. That is mercy. And for us today, we have the amazing opportunity to accept Christ as Lord and have that free gift of mercy and grace for ourselves. If we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and that He was dead on the cross, buried in the tomb, and rose from the grave. If we confess that, we are made right with God. Powerful. Leviticus 26, 46-42 says, But if they confess their iniquity, this is what Nehemiah is referencing, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery, and they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled, there's a key word, and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. That's powerful. He made the promise way back in Leviticus to him. And Nehemiah is bringing it back up and saying, God, God, you said this. Lord, if we would be humbled and repent, you would do this. Verse 9 again says, If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Restoration in some way, shape, or form has happened a little bit. Many of God's people have returned from exile, but the land is still not yet secure. Deuteronomy 12.5. I know I'm giving you a lot of references, but I'm trying to make you understand the title altogether. Deuteronomy 12.5. But you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of excuse me, will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there you shall go. And then we know in Second Kings twenty one four, and he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. God's already established it. It will be in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is bringing this back up before God to say, Lord, the dwelling of your name means that this will be the place by which you claim as your own. But we have got to be repentant. We've got to be humble and come before you. Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong Hand. Again, Nehemiah doesn't think that God doesn't know or remember what he's done. But again, in faith, he's saying, God, remember what you did already. You saved them from Egypt. You took them out of slavery. God, remember them again. Show that grace and mercy again. Think about that in the context of ourselves. There is grace and there is mercy available for us. And if we're already in Christ, we already know Christ as our Lord and Savior, we know 
I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. We all still sin, amen? We do. We will sin until the day Christ calls us home or He comes back. I can't wait. But until that day happens, we still sin. We still wake up. I look at the alarm clock and I want to punch it. (laughs) It's just, I don't want to get up early in the morning. That's an automatic sin right there. But we still sin, but thank God for His grace. His grace is new every single day for us. And the truth of the matter is, Still, the breath is out of our lungs or is outside of the lungs of the people that we love that maybe don't know Christ, there is still hope. There is still time. I would encourage you, thinking about the context of outside of the walls of this building, in our neighborhoods, on the streets, in our families, in our co-workers at the office, there are people that surround us daily that are lost, that do not know Christ. And we could pray for them and cry out to them. And cry out to God for them and say, God, please, save their soul, God. I have this burden for these people. Nehemiah's burden was for Jerusalem and seeing the brokenness and the destruction be fixed. The last thing I want to point out is fear God and serve Him completely. Look at verse 11. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I, I want it to be set up so Pastor Troy can take it and run with it next week. But it says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight and fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is coming and he's referencing fear of God. And we've talked about this before. We've referenced it many times and we've talked about it, but the fear of God, it's not just being, oh, I'm so scared of God. It's this reverent fear because He is the holy God that created everything. I already established earlier, He knows everything about ourselves. We can't fool Him. We can't hide from Him. We have to be honest and come before Him and be repentant about our sin. But this God we come before, we have this holy, reverent fear of Him because of who He is and what He's done. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We must be fearful of God in the sense that this is God. And we must be willing to serve Him completely. Nehemiah is willing to serve God completely. And what we're going to see over the next several weeks is just how much he is in to do that. He wants to serve Him with every part of his being. He says there in the second half of 11, uh, and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He is referencing the king. It's, it says there next, I was the cupbearer to the king. We're going to see in chapter 2 just how important that is. And and Nehemiah is going to go on this journey to serve God and do amazing things for God's glory. But Nehemiah was willing. He was ready. He's like, here am I, Lord, send me. For those of you that love Mercy Me, that's an old Mercy Me song. But it's just this idea and this understanding. God, because of what you've done for me, I want to serve you. I I have this burden for these people and I want to be used by you to minister to them. 
Band, you can come forward. I wonder today, is that our heart and our desire? Do we have the same response to the sin that is going on out in our community? And I'm not saying that our community is a horrible place. No matter where we live, there's sin all around us. But as the church, we are called to minister and love our community with the gospel and to share it with them. So is that our response? When we hear these things that are going on and we're so do we get down on our face and cry out to God and say, Lord, this is happening, God. Lord, I want to I, I fast before you. I want to spend time just seeking your face and praying to you. God, that your will be done in this. And use me however you will. Lord, give me favor in the sight of people that I might need to so that I can be used by If you're here today and you confess Christ Jesus as Lord, and you don't have that kind of uh, reply when you hear something like this, self up. Spend time in prayer to God and say, Lord, help me with this. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, oh man, there's something amazing waiting for you if you would just take the time to stop and listen. Especially if God is drawing near to you. His grace is so undeserving for us. But it pours out over and over and over again. And praise God that He does. And He does so just because of who we are. We're just sinners. That He loved enough to send Christ Jesus to this earth to die for. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I thank You for today. Lord, I thank You for the opportunity to proclaim Your name. Lord, through the preaching of Your Word. God, there's so much more that could even be spoken of this passage today. And and God, I just pray, Lord, that the things that I spoke today were from you, God, and that you would use it for your glory. Right now, Lord, as we spend this time in singing this song to you, Lord, I pray, God, if there are things that you need to work on in our hearts, Lord, that you would draw near to us, Lord, that you would tell us those things, Lord, that we would recognize them and we would step out in faith and do whatever it is that you're telling us to do. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you, let today be the day of salvation. Let them know, God, that no one is going to think weird of them or anything if they come forward to ask for prayer or anything of the sort. But God, just move mightily during this time. We love you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing.